Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. For this special edition of Word on the Street, Phil Attreed, Head of Investment Consulting, Senior Government Relations Expert Sophie Traherne, and Chief Investment Officer Will Hobbs, discuss Sunday's announcement on reopening the UK economy and look at how the UK compared to other similarly placed economies why Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland are planning a different path, and where the Brexit negotiations are in the midst of all this. Hello and welcome to another Word on Street special. This time we're covering yesterday's hotly anticipated press conference on how the UK plans to relax containment measures. Uh, In order to do this justice, we welcome back Sophie Traherne, our resident government relations expert, and Will Hobbs, our chief investment officer. Sophie, I'll start with you, if I may. Uh, There was quite a bit of build-up to this statement. Uh, uh, First question, did it live up to expectations? And can you give us an outline uh, of um, what the plan looks like for the coming months? Yes, so we had the Prime Minister's address, as he said, um, to the nation last night, where he set out what he called a conditional plan to ease the lockdown. So essentially, this plan will progress as long as we continue to see progress across the the five tests which the government previously set out. And as a quick reminder, these tests include protecting the NHS, seeing a sustained fall in the death rate, seeing sustained falls in the rate of infection, getting confidence in the supply of PPE and ensuring that we don't risk that that second wave. So keeping the uh, the reproduction rate, the R rate down. Um, and this is, is, is very much a cautious approach. And, and the prime minister stressed that the government will not hesitate to, to put the brakes on if things do go backwards. Um, and this will all be monitored through a new COVID alert system, which will measure this R rate and determine how quickly lockdown restrictions could be eased. So there are five levels of alert. Uh, we're currently at level four. Uh, and to directly quote the prime minister, he said last night that the lower the level, the fewer the measures, the higher the level, the tougher and stricter we will have to be. So, you know, this is all about monitoring and, and trying to move to the next level, but, you know, only when appropriate. So to start step one, uh, we see this week the government making some changes. So guidance for uh, work will change with anyone who can't work from home. So those uh, in industries like construction or manufacturing should be actively encouraged to go to work. Uh, But you should, however, avoid public transport if at all possible. And then from Wednesday, unlimited exercise throughout the day will be allowed, including being able to play sport outside, sit in parks, etc. But only with members of your own family. Uh, And this this all coincides with a change of of government messaging. The, The previous slogan of stay home, protect the NHS, save lives has now changed to stay alert, control the virus and save lives. Government clearly trying to move the messaging and the narrative um, on this on this virus on. And I think looking forward, the, the Prime Minister has also set out a rough timetable for additional easing. So step two is that at uh, the earliest, by the 1st of June, we'll see a phased reopening of primary schools and some shops. Then step three at the earliest by July is the government uh, ho- hoping to be able to reopen at least some of the hospitality industry, which obviously has been particularly hard hit by the virus. Um, but I think you know, we, sh- we need to be clear here and, and go back to what the Prime Minister said near the start of his address last night. He said this was the first sketch of a roadmap for reopening society. So 
clearly a lot depends on how the outbreak progresses over the weeks and months ahead and, and nothing at this stage is set in stone. Quite uh, a lot to digest and, and clearly shown the complexity uh, uh, of this exit. Um, Will, turning to you, we were talking ahead of the weekend about how the world economy is throwing up some pretty staggering statistics at the moment. Um, data that's beginning to describe just how difficult things have become for, for many of the world's people. Um, I'm assuming the UK is, is really in the same boat here. Yes, I mean, I, I think that's probably right, Phil. I mean, I, I, again, a word, a word of sort of caution here. I think that you know, cross-country comparisons are worth quite a bit less than some commentators seem to want at the moment. Um, maybe in the total absence uh, of competitive live sport, many are trying to fill the void with some kind of international coronavirus derby. Um, but whatever, I mean, I think, yes, the UK economy is experiencing um, the kind of hard stop in many parts of the economy, which, like elsewhere, uh, the data is really quite you know, struggling to describe in many ways. The, data, the statistical framework with which we measure our economy was simply not designed uh, to capture this kind of of uh, um, this kind of uh, this kind of economic event. So you know, in the UK, you found that new car registrations were down, you know, ninety seven percent in April. Uh, some aspects of the labour market look as bad as anything we've seen in at least a couple of decades. Uh, and the Bank of England's projections uh, you saw last week. Uh, the headlines were grabbed by, uh, uh, they suggested that, uh, analysts there suggested that the first half of the year could see the fastest and deepest recession uh, since the Great Frost of 1709, when the coldest winter for 500 years uh, froze large chunks of the uh, an already struggling uh, UK and indeed European economy. Uh, I think the point is, though, that we'll be able to properly put this downturn into perspective uh, when we see what the recovery looks like. Uh, and that really, uh, you know, that's for the world and for the UK. Quite well. And, and uh, you know, the weekend, just uh, on that sport topic, just seeing the Bundesliga struggling to even get their league started without sort of one of the teams who are already dropping. So, a again, demonstrating the complexities of the whole situation. Um, I think I know the answer to this one, but uh, is there anything we can say about how the UK's all-round experience uh, and response uh, of this outbreak compares to some of the other nations as well? Clearly, you know, we've talked before about uh, the sort of disparity of approaches. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be boring and just say just too complicated uh, right now I think um, there are a load of you know one of the really important things here is that there are just a load of pre-existing country level idiosyncrasies um, which kind of in terms of how the economy is organized or how the society is organized um, which have been really influential in terms of how different countries have experienced uh, you know the virus so things like age and morbidity profile of your population um, but also you know what access um, what areas your economy majors in uh, you know whether it's leaning more towards services than other sectors um, you know how you organize your social safety net so you know for the last bit we've talked a little bit about this before but just to give you an illustration so friday um, brought us, you know, and I think you, you kind of alluded to this at the beginning, some horrifying labour market data from the US. Uh, in the space of a couple of months, you've gone from the lowest unemployment rate since the 1960s to having around a quarter of your labour force uh, on the sidelines, if you're kind of reading between um, the lines a little bit. Now, in the US, you're trying to provide support to this group, primarily through the unemployment insurance framework. Now, by contrast, in much of Europe, many governments are handling the same problem very differently. They are basically persuading companies to keep staff um, keep staff on by subsidising salaries for a short while. So in the UK, the coronavirus job retention scheme covers, I think, around 6.3 million jobs at last count. Now, that's a major chunk of the UK labour force. Now, when all is said and done, which of these 
very different ways of dealing with the same problem will prove the most effective. Uh, and the answers to this and similar questions will likely have an important influence on how governments around the organize, uh, around the world uh, organise themselves uh, in the future. So it, these are huge questions, but unfortunately unanswerable. And I think we should steer clear of those commentators who are keen to put, uh, uh, you know, to, to find answers a little bit too soon, in my opinion. Fair enough. Um, Sophie, coming back to you, maybe we can just touch on some of the reverberations from, from yesterday's announcement. So Boris's speech. One, one thing that stood out for me was that Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland are actually taking a, a different approach. Um, what are the main differences we're seeing here in the, the approach between our home nations? And, and what could this mean in terms of the lockdown in different parts of the country? Yeah, uh, interesting developments across the UK with the devolved administrations in, in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland all taking a different approach and essentially refusing to make any changes to the existing stay home message. And, and this is important because for the first time, people living in different parts of the UK will be getting different messages. In the short term, at least, this means that people in England will be able to do things that people in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland can't. So, you know, throwing up a lot of questions about well, what happens on the borders? What about people who live in Wales but work in England, for example? And, you know, this is quite simply the, the nature of devolution. You have different governments with different political persuasions in the in different parts of the UK. Uh, they all have their, their own powers over certain areas of public life, their own parliaments, and, and they've decided to take a different approach. So it will be interesting to see how this actually works in practice. It's also quite interesting that there were also some calls in Manchester uh, to not relax the lockdown restrictions in the city. And the Greater Manchester Mayor, Andy Burnham, has been also supposedly pushing for regional representation at the government's COBRA meeting. So, you know, kind of showing that English devolution is also having its say and, and raising the question about a difference of approach across the English regions. Um, so definitely one to look out for in terms of how the practicalities of these different approaches will will, will work. Quite. And Will, I, I guess this challenge isn't u unique to the UK as well. We have borders the world over. Yeah, that's that, that, that's exactly right, Phil. So, the, you know, the same things you heard Sophie describe there, um, you know, they're, 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 they're present in many countries. And if you look at particularly some of the more decentralised administrations, so you know, maybe Italy or, you know, the US, uh, you know, spring to mind, you are finding quite different um, grades of lockdown imposed across the region and indeed quite different timetables for opening up. But again, I mean, in a way, many of these regions are dealing with slightly subtly different problems and different toolkits and so on and so on. Uh, so sometimes that differentiated response is, you know, appropriate. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's certainly the case. And, you know, things like you know, in the US, there's been, you know, comments about um, the disparity between particular states in terms of their testing capacity, and therefore their readiness to open up the economies again. So that that's going to be, you know, some of the sort of um, uh, the case. And again, demographics and other kind of pre-existing kind of regional um, uh, uh, characteristics are going to be important. But, uh, you know, the, the UK is not alone here in dealing with, uh, you know, uh, some degree of decentralisation in terms of how it copes for, with this uh, uh, with this virus, and indeed, the, uh, the next stage of getting back to Work. And again, I think that complexity plays to sort of some some of the corporates as well. I mean, I think uh, recently uh, uh, one of the airline chief executives was talking about the fact that dealing with multiple countries, I think that particular airline had sort of 40 different countries that it operated across and there's different rules getting onto the plane to those getting off the plane as well. So it all, all needs to be worked through at the corporate level as well. Um, Sophie, what comes next? Um, we have Prime Minister's um, statement in Parliament today. What about the rest of the week? 
Yeah, so uh, we've got the, the statement this afternoon and also the um, government will publish the full details of the plans um, to start easing the lockdown across England. And that will be quite interesting because that will be where we see more of the details of things like the number of people that you can go out and see potentially if you do go to the park. So there'll be a lot more detail fleshed out in this document. And I imagine the questions raised from the opposition, but also Tory MPs this afternoon in the House of Commons will continue to dominate the rest of the week. So, for example, some MPs think that he should have gone further and the lockdown should be coming to an end. Also questions over things like the NHS tracking app and pilot in the Isle of Wight. Uh, Labour leader Keir Starmer has already been quite critical. Um, she might have seen in the coverage of the Prime Minister's statement saying that the government are presenting mixed messages and they need to be a lot clearer in what they're asking the public. Uh, there are also still questions, of course, over PPE and the rollout of uh, testing. So lots to, to dominate this week. Um, we're also probably going to get a statement from the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, about the planned extension of the government's job retention scheme beyond the end of June. So just as a reminder, this is the furlough scheme. And there were quite a few uh, reports over the weekend about this and speculation that it will be extended until September. And although nothing is confirmed, the government do know they need to address this potential cliff edge coming up for many workers and employers. So it's going to be a, another very busy week um, for the government as they try and move the country forward. Quite. That furlough cliff edge, as you say, is very much going to be on an awful lot of people's uh, minds over the course of the next week or so. Um, one thing we haven't mentioned for a while is Brexit. Um, so I saw that the US and UK were talking trade over video conference last week. Where are we with Brexit? Um, is it still feasible to, to hold the same Brexit timetable as before? So, yeah, good question. Um, the third round of Brexit talks uh, on the, the future relationship between the UK and the EU are actually set to begin today. So the talks are still happening. Uh, the briefing around these negotiations has not been very positive. Uh, EU officials have called on the UK to show a willingness to make progress, noting that they were very disappointed with the last round. Uh, and you may have also seen comments from uh, the Deputy Prime Minister in Ireland saying that progress has not been good in the last couple of rounds and essentially warning that there's not enough time to, to complete a deal before the end of the year. So fairly negative noises going into this third round this week. But, you know, I suppose there was always going to be an expectation that these these stages would be difficult regardless. Um, and that if a deal was to be done, it would probably be, be done at the 11th hour in the autumn. Uh, but having said that, there do, do remain some some big differences between the two sides. And, and the key issues continue to be uh, governance and the form of the agreement itself, level playing field commitments, which we've spoken about before, fishing, financial services, and finally, the, the Northern Ireland Protocol, which is arguably one of the biggest issues right now. Um, this is the complicated arrangement which aims to avoid a hard border on the island of Ireland, but is basically being interpreted in different ways by, by the two sides. The UK is concerned about the arrangement being an infringement on UK sovereignty and kind of risk to the integrity of the union of the UK, whereas the EU is concerned about the issue of single market integrity. So some big issues to address on the Northern Ireland Protocol. A key moment will be the high-level uh, stop-take meeting in June, and this will determine which chapters of the agreement are acceptable to both sides, covering off the issues I mentioned uh, but given everything going on, as always, as you mentioned, talk moves to the question of how feasible it is to do this deal by the end of the year. And if an extension to the transition period is going to happen, as a reminder, 
due to currently end on at the end of this year, December 2020. Um, also worth remembering another key date, under the withdrawal agreement, this extension has to be signed off before July 1st. So we're, we are fast approaching these dates and uh, Downing Street do continue to be clear that they will not request an extension. They've not changed their position at all on this issue. And although it should never be ruled out, it does seem like they are standing firm on this point. Um, there is a sense that an extension wouldn't actually really change anything in terms of the substance of the negotiations and, and also the view that deadlines you know, can be useful, they are important, and they don't really want to be breaking a promise to the British people about not uh, extending the transition period. So clearly this will all start to ramp up as we move to the stock take meeting in June and then the extension deadline in July, but worth keeping an eye on the briefing from the third round of negotiations this week as well. Thanks, Sophie. Really useful insight. And thanks for being available for this uh, this lockdown special edition as well. That just leaves me to uh, thank you, our listeners, for joining this Word on the Street special edition. Uh, we'll be back later in the week with special guests Rob Smith and Ian Aylward um, from Behavioural Finance and our manager selection team, respectively. Uh, amongst other things, be talking about impact investing. Uh, with that, uh, I hope you're able to join us then. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.